The autumn wind is a pirate, blustering in from sea, with a rollicking song he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. His face is weather-beaten, he wears a hooded sash, with a silver hat about his head, and a bristling black mustache. He growls as he storms the country, a villain big and bold and the trees all shake and quiver and quake as he robs them of their gold the autumn wind is a raider pillaging just for fun he'll knock you round and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won we are the Oakland Raiders Oakland Raiders Oakland Raiders just win baby win baby win baby don't need no invitation no. we are that Raider Nation we rock that Silver. We make them shake and shiver, we make them reconsider, and we still committed, so if you want a piece of this, you can come and get it. Hey Touchdown. folks, welcome back to the Clemson Touchdown. Podcast. It is Thursday, May 2nd. Davo Sweeney has become the highest paid coach in college football. Meanwhile, Columbia area pizza delivery drivers are moving to Clemson in droves, and life is good. Ben and Sam here with you today to cover a broad range of subjects. Uh, we'll check in on the baseball team who are suffering through their worst stretch of play in the Montelie era. We'll touch on some basketball news, including the controversy surrounding assistant coach Steve Smith. But first, let's talk about the NFL draft. Sam, uh, six Tigers taken overall, three in the first round. Five others signed as undrafted free agents, and a handful of guys are in tryouts with various teams. But let's first talk about the Oakland Raiders, your Oakland Raiders. Uh, they drafted three Tigers, uh, Clee, Trayvon, and Hunter. As a Raider, Raiders fan, lifelong Raiders fan, how excited are you? I was the happiest fan, football fan in America, I think, on the selection weekend. Uh, I went to our local bar, the boardroom in San Francisco, to watch the first round with my wife. And when they announced the Cleveland Farrell pick, I yelled out loud and everybody looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, Cause most of the people in the bar were either out of towners who are not Raider fans or locals that were Niner fans. And uh, so that was a great start to the weekend. And then Saturday we picked up Trayvon and I had turned off the draft for maybe 10 minutes and checked in right as they did that. And so I yelled in my apartment, when that one happened. Uh, and then the following day we picked up Hunter and I was at, uh, I was with, you know, friends and, and just yelled in public again. And every time I was super surprised and happy, uh, every draft pick for the Raiders was that we got Clemson guys could have been perceived as a stretch. Um, we picked Clee about 15 picks earlier than he was projected to go. Trayvon was maybe a half a round or a round early. Hunter was a round and a half early, probably from where he was projected. But uh, we know what quality players they are and quality people they are, and that seems to be the line that that the Clemson or the huh, excuse me. See, it's it's already pervasive. Ben uh, calling the, the Raiders the Clemson Raiders. Uh, the Raiders are are talking a lot about character 
in in their draft and in their uh, locker room. And we know these guys are of the highest quality character and, and, and talent. And so I, I couldn't be happier with the way the draft went. Yeah, it's a very... Um... It's very high likelihood that you may be the only lifelong Raiders slash Clemson fan. There um, are not a lot. Which would stand a reason why you might be the only guy yelling for those draft picks. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Oakland just kept picking them. Uh, and, you know, not surprised that all three of these guys got drafted, of course. Um, yep. Surprised to see three guys uh, from Clemson go, all go to the same team. And that team not being the Houston Texans. I'm, I actually am a little bit surprised that the Texans did not draft any Clemson players. They did pick up a they did pick up Huggy though, right? Huggy Bear with an undrafted free agent contract. Um, but yeah, I was getting texts all day. Are you going to be a Raiders fan now? And I'm like, no. I'm going to hope that they trade them to the Texans. <laughs> yeah. Years. So I I've got I texted my roommates from from Clemson. And one of them was like, oh man, do I have to be a Raiders fan now? And I was like, yeah, dude, it's going to be Redskins, which is his actual favorite team. And then Raiders and then Texans. Those are your well, three now. If the Raiders pick up Trevor Lawrence in a couple of years, I might reconsider. But um, for now, <laughs> I think I'm still going to be partial to the Texans. It, it would maybe help if the Raiders weren't about to leave for Vegas in 2020. So we get a, we get a good year of uh, Clee, Hunter, and Trayvon. And, you know... We'll see what happens. And who else? They got um, Cannon, Cannon Smith, Smith. Yeah, signed yeah. as a, a training camp guy. So he's trying to yeah. get a spot as well. So it'll uh, it'll be a Clemson heavy Raiders spring training. Yes, it will. Um, so yeah, just a lot of exciting news there for uh, Raiders fans, I suppose. Well, and for Clemson fans, just to see you know six guys taking over the three first rounders. I guess we all figured they were going to be three first rounders, but. That actually earlier than expected, though. Yeah, to see that actually happen. Um, yeah, Klee up to number four. That wasn't projected. Uh, Christian Wilkins a little bit higher. Dexter Lawrence. Uh, it turns out that the Austrian thing probably did not affect him um, in his draft status that much. He goes to the Giants, um, and then Wilkins to Miami. So cool to see those three guys uh, go in the first round, and especially for Klee and Wilkins to up their draft status. Uh, coming back for their senior season. And I imagine Austin Bryant probably uh, raised his as well. He went in the Absolutely. fourth round to Detroit. Um, so, yeah, but after the first day, it's really just Oakland Raiders picks and, and Austin Bryant after that. Um, so kudos, congratulations to all those guys. They're starting their uh, NFL career. Um, I'm hoping out here in San Francisco, maybe we can get these three guys uh, to come hang out with us with our Northern California Clemson club. That would be really cool. Um, I'm having dreams of just running into Hunter and his wife on the street. Uh, so hopefully that comes to fruition. It could be a really bad combination for you and me now because they're all Raiders fans and you're already borderline obsessed with Hunter Renfro. So he's way too close now for comfort. Um, we should warn Camilla that uh, her husband may be in danger. Yeah, there might be some restraining order, orders uh, in order here coming up in the near future. Um, but you know what? I can't honestly – I don't – I haven't watched a 49ers game in years, on purpose at least. Why uh, would you? I, I think the last one I actually watched was that Monday night football game uh, the last year in Candlestick Park where the uh, all the lights went out. Um, it, you know, it's been a while when the last one you watched was Candlestick. Yeah, that place been, hasn't been around for a while. Um, but yeah. You know, 
Cool. It was a lot of fun. So I guess I'll be more likely to watch Raiders games now, at least. Actually, I'll be very likely to watch Raiders games. Um, so but some other storylines here. It, it very, I'm very interested to see that Mitch Hyatt and Trey Lamar did not get drafted. Trey Lamar left school early. Remember, he was just a junior. Uh, so he doesn't get drafted. A little bit surprised that Albert Huggins doesn't get drafted. But considering he was never really a starter, I, I guess you can make sense of that. But the Mitch Hyatt thing. Man, he started for, you know, five-star recruit out of high school, started for Clemson all four years. You never heard his name called uh, during the broadcast of football games for the most part because he was always blocking his guy. So it just baffles me. I don't know what you look for um, in, a, in a left tackle than a guy who gets his man every time. So that, the interesting thing about Mitch is that he's, he signed a contract with the Cowboys uh, as an undrafted free agent. And he's got a $130,000 guaranteed and a $495,000 base salary uh, with a $20,000 signing bonus. So those numbers out of context don't mean anything, but let me put a little, uh, put it into a picture for you. Uh, the Cowboys six round pick Cedric Wilson got a $118,000 guaranteed, which is less than Mitch and their seventh round pick got 85,000 guaranteed. So Mitch Hyatt got paid like he was an early sixth, late fifth draft pick, even though he went undrafted. Uh, it's higher than a ton of the projected picks for all the sixth and seventh round guys that did get drafted. So while he, he went undrafted, he's in position to really compete for a role with the Cowboys um, and have some success in the NFL and try and make his way. Yeah, I'm, I was wondering if it wasn't the case that maybe um, the Cowboys didn't need uh, offensive linemen, uh, and then they get out of the draft, and they realize, like, holy shit, how is Mitch Hyatt still, in the, uh, still out there? Mm -hmm. And they go and get him. So I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, they did get, it looks like in the third round, they, uh, they drafted a guard, uh, but no other offensive linemen throughout the draft, it looks like. So I don't know. Maybe it was a case they didn't have a need, and they looked and like that guy's way too good to pass up on. Um, gave him a little bit yeah. of incentive uh, with, the, with the contract stuff. So Because I'm sure, you know, even with these undrafted free agents, they've got multiple teams vying for them. Uh, Absolutely. And, the and Mitch, was apparently, Mitch, yeah. Mitch was apparently one of the highest uh, targets for the Cowboys in that or undrafted free agent class. Yeah. So, you know, we knew he was going to land on a team. It's, it's just kind of not being drafted, maybe caps his future earnings. But, you know, we all know how good Mitch Hyatt is. Um, and I think the Cowboys will learn in, in short order. Uh, but then you got the Trey Lamar deal. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. I don't know if he didn't look good at his pro day or uh, the combine. He didn't, you know, a few of these guys had injuries in the combine. Uh, Austin Bryant did. I know he had mm -hmm. he had um, on his pectoral surgery on his pectoral, I think, and he yep. still got drafted in the fourth round. That didn't seem to affect him at all. Yeah, you know it's interesting that Trey didn't get drafted. Uh, like you said, there's a bunch of other guys that are either trying out or got signed, like Mitch did um, as undrafted free agents. Kendall Joseph is trying out for the Chiefs. Uh, Judah Davis and JD Davis are both trying out for different teams. Um, Dawson Elliott, with the Bills, Adam Choice with the yep. Seahawks. Yep, Mylon Richard is trying out for a couple different teams. Supposedly, the Steelers and Vikings are included in that list. We mentioned Cannon Smith with the Raiders. Um, so how there's about, a bunch of guys. Yeah, how about Johnny Thompson with the Chargers? 
absolutely. They're trying to make a little wide receiver U down in San Diego. Yep. Uh, with the former Raiders, they've got um, well down in LA. Scott and Mike. Well, yeah. Well, they'll always be the San Diego Chargers all in our hearts, right? Just moving all over the place. Yeah. Uh, so you know they've got three Clemson receivers, former Clemson receivers, down there now in LA, San Diego. Um, so we've got three or four teams around the NFL that that have uh, a good squad of former Clemson players that we can go cheer for and watch. Well, it's hard not to at this point with as many guys as Clemson sending into the league. You know, we mentioned six guys in this draft. I don't, I can't, I don't know. I didn't recall where that stands in the history of uh, the NFL draft and Clemson players. It's got to be up there, six guys. But I, I think that could have been easily two more for a total of eight. Yeah, I mean, uh, Trey and Mitch easily easily could have gotten drafted. Um, you wouldn't have been surprised at all if they'd gone sixth and seventh round. But you know, the guys that that did get drafted. Are seem to be in good situations, places where they'll be able to contribute quickly. Uh, the Raiders guys are all obviously on a team that needs a lot of help. Um, not afraid to admit, even though I'm a lifelong Raiders fan, that we've been terrible the last few years. Um, hopefully, those guys can help rebuild the team. But you know, Cleveland in Miami and uh, or Christian in Miami and Dex in New York, they're both going to have options to opportunities to try and go make a difference for those teams. They they need the help on the line. Yeah, and interesting stat I saw about Trayvon Mullen is that he never allowed a touchdown in his college career. If that continues in the NFL for a season, um, he'll be looking real good. I'm pretty sure I saw that. I don't think it was just the 2018 season. I think it was his three years at Clemson. So that stat in and of itself is absolutely it's amazing. Extremely and, impressive. Which is why he was a high second-round draft pick. Because uh, what, what pick did the Raiders have? They would have had the fourth pick in the second round. So. He was pretty close to being the first rounder. Yeah, I think he was the 40th overall. I think they'd traded Dowd a little bit or had traded in and out picks, but I think it was the 40th overall for Trayvon. Speaking of trading picks, the Raiders traded up to get Hunter there in the fifth round. Yep. Yep. Uh, And I watched a couple of the, the videos where John Gruden and Mike Mayock, the GM and head coach for the Raiders, called uh, Cleland and Trayvon and Hunter. And they talked a lot about leadership and how these guys are going to have to come in and contribute. But the best one was when they called Trayvon, um, Gruden got on the phone first and talked to him and said, you ready to come be a Raider? Trayvon got really worked up and emotional, started crying a little bit and was really excited. And then Cleland had already flown out to, uh, to wherever the Raiders draft headquarters was and was there with, with Gruden and got on the phone next and they just had a little heart to heart. It was, uh, you know, I was crying on a, on a Saturday watching draft videos, which is not, <laughs> not the proudest moment of my life, but it's uh, exactly. I, I showed it to my wife and she cried too. So it made me feel a little better. Um, but it was a really hard touching, uh, heartwarming moment that, you know, these guys are, are really excited to be where they are and, I hope that there were similar moments for all the other guys that got drafted and got their, their contracts and, and are moving on to the NFL. Yeah. So just think about all the exposure for Clemson football dating back to the national championship game. Um, you had another great signing class coming in. You had the spring game televised on ESPN, which was a two hour commercial uh, for, for, for Clemson university. 
Um, and then you got the NFL draft and, and all the guys going so high there and all the commentary uh, between the guys on ESPN there. So um, the light is shining pretty bright at the moment right now for the Tigers um, and just wish all the best to all of these guys moving forward in their professional careers. I've never been uh, for quite some time. I haven't been a big NFL guy. Part of that is because there was just not a lot of Clemson guys going into the NFL, especially on offense, uh, up until you know the last four or five, five six years or so. Uh, but now you've got all these Clemson guys scattered around the league, so I find myself constantly checking up more and more teams and their stats, following up on games every Sunday during the football season. And man, by like twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three, my entire fantasy football roster may be Clemson players. Yeah, I mean, uh, my work draft last year was heavily Clemson favored. Uh, and it's just going to get easier and easier to do that. Well, and, and that's, you know, it, it doesn't stop here. Um, we're at the top of the mountain now, but it, it, we don't look to be coming down anytime soon. Um, so just expect more great things to come for Clemson football and just enjoy enjoy these moments because this is, you know, this is the, the we're at the top of the mountain. This is the best it is. This is it can't be any better than this. I don't think uh, two championships in three years, all the positive um, media attention around the program. And then all the guys you mentioned, all these stand up young men coming out of the program and representing the, the school uh, and, and all of us as alumni really well. So yeah, just, just thanks to them. Really appreciate everything they do. And it's just gonna be really exciting to watch them uh, moving forward. Okay, so that officially closes out the uh, the 2018 football season, I suppose. So uh, now let's move on to the baseball team. Okay, the last time we checked in on the baseball team, they were actually playing fairly well. But man, it has been a struggle since. They're currently 27 and 18, 12 and 12 in the ACC, which is good for tied for fourth with Wake and Notre Dame and the ACC Atlantic. Uh, but the big news here. Just coming off a nine-game ACC losing streak before the win against Georgia Tech in the final game of the series last weekend, the Tigers were 3-11 and overall over that stretch. Uh, it all started with a loss in the last game, the Louisville series, that the Clemson actually won. But, man, the Tigers are really scuffling right now. Yeah, they're really struggling. And it's, it's coming a lot from the wall that we talked about with the freshmen, I think yep. uh, the pitching has really taken a dive uh, guys like Askew and even Davis Sharp have, have taken a turn and struggled and, you know, even the batting has been not as good as it needed to be. Um, there's been a bunch of two, three, four run games instead of the sevens and eights that we were seeing earlier on, on in the year. Yeah. And you mentioned it, the, the freshman wall, that these guys hit. We talked it. We mentioned that earlier on the season. We said it's a young team. Watch that's something to watch out for. We thought it would take until the middle of the season or a little bit later to really, to, to, to understand what the DNA of this team is. In our last episode, I think we speculated, well, man, these guys are playing well. And I think all the, the ability and the talent that we saw and how well they were playing, we thought that they could possibly make a run to Omaha, but we cautioned still, you have to still wait to see if, if these guys hit a wall and, they certainly have. Um, it's just been a real struggle for this team lately, and it's been really, really hard to watch. You've, now, they haven't given up the fight, which is a good thing. There's been some late comebacks in games. The last game of the Georgia Tech series uh, was a case in point. Um, but overall, just really disappointing for this baseball team. And, and it, it's a good possibility now to keep playing like this 
And if the season ended today, they might not even be in postseason play, um, which, you know, that doesn't happen to Clemson baseball often. So, you know, over this streak we mentioned, uh, it started with the loss in that last game to the Louisville series. Um, a couple of developments since then, you know, you had uh, Hennessy pitching some midweeks games and actually pitched pretty well. Uh, uh, got a win over Furman. Um, uh, I think he started the Georgia game that lasted 20 innings, actually pitched pretty well, but he's, they started to get him involved more lately on the weekend and he's taken a turn for uh, South again. So it's not just the young guys. It's, it's the upperclassmen that have been struggling as well. Um, you know, it all really kicked off the Louisville series. Is one thing Louisville leading the ACC Atlantic, they're a highly ranked team. And we win that series two to one, but then turn around, go to Florida state and Florida state really wasn't playing that well up until this point, but they get swept by Florida state. And this is kind of when, uh, David Sharp, you mentioned him started his struggles. Matt Clark got roughed up for the first time this year. And Keyshawn Askew got yanked after completing only one inning in his game as he continued to struggle. So, a series sweep there, and that was just a sign of things to come. Next, you have the the Georgia game, which really could have been a shot in the arm for this team had they been able to pull it out. They lost that one three to two in twenty innings. You know, the Tigers really had some opportunities uh, late in extra innings, but can capitalize. Monty Lee, I thought, had really several questionable coaching decisions. It might be the, the worst game that I've seen him manage. Um, you know, Luke Somerville took the loss. He had a pitch in the last four and two thirds of that game. Uh, pitched pretty well, but it, it just wasn't to be for the Tigers that night. They struck out 26 times in 20 innings, and that was just a brutal game. I don't know. Did you have a chance to watch that? I did. I watched uh, probably like six or seven innings after it got into extras. Uh, I didn't turn it on until maybe the 11th. And I think I turned it off before I went to bed because it was too late on the West Coast, which is mind-boggling that there were people still there at the end of it, uh, given that it happened in well, Georgia students were just like coming home from the bar and they're like, oh, the baseball game's still going on. More people started showing up. That yeah, was it was it was wild. Um, looking at the highlights later, there were still a ton of people at the game, you know, in the 20th inning at 2 a.m. in the morning. And it it was, you know, it was a two, three game that lasted 20 innings. Decent pitching performances. Really not very good hitting. Only 19 hits total in 20 innings um, across both teams. And, you know, like you said, there were some missed opportunities. Um, but overall, it, it really is just a missed chance. Anytime the game goes that long, uh, it, it's a toss-up. And the team that comes out of it is going to feel great about the outcome. They're like, oh, at least we got the win uh, against a tough opponent. And instead, it kind of kicked off a bit of a spiral for us. Or, you know, the Florida State series kind of started it, but the, the Georgia one failed to, to stop it from kicking into overdrive. Yeah, that's one that could have really turned it uh, around for this team. At that point, they were in the midst of a four-game ACC losing streak, which is, you know, less than half of the nine-game streak. So that really could have helped turn it around. Uh, so Georgia ends up sweeping the series, uh, the season series, two to nothing with that win. Uh, Practically 3 nothing as long as that game went. Uh, more than two games worth of innings. Uh, so that led into the Duke series, a home series against Duke. And listen, Duke's a good baseball team. They really are. Uh, but to lose this series at home is just kind of unacceptable. Uh, first game, uh, Davis Sharp was cruising until he gave up four runs in the fourth. 
and then Clemson had a one-run lead heading into the top of the ninth. For some, re- some reason, Monty Lee left Owen Griffin in there instead of bringing in Carson Spires. Doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Griffith got two outs in the ninth but gave up the tying run before getting pulled for Spires, who gave up a double that scored the go-ahead run. Um, and I, I, I specifically point that out because in the next game, Clemson loses 5-3, to three, uh, one that Brooks Crawford actually started and pitched pretty well. But uh, Duke's coach brought in their closer, early on in that game, I think like the seventh to pick some extended innings and he was going for the win, right? He wasn't mm-hmm. leaving anything out there. He was thinking about the game today and not about the, the last game on Sunday. And I feel like Monty Lee wasn't doing that when he neglected to bring Sp- uh, Spears in. Um, but finally then uh, some more questionable coaching decisions in the last game. We lost that one 9-8 as well. The team was actually down 8-2 heading to the bottom of the fifth, but the Tigers put up a six spot to tie the game at 8-8. Then in the bottom of the seventh, uh, Bo Mikowski is held rounding third on a ball, hit to left field, and what would have been a close play at the plate. Uh, but then uh, third base coach Greg Starbucks sends him with one out on a shallow fly ball to left, and he gets thrown out the plate for the third out. So, you know, I if you don't send him on the play before, why the hell you send him on that play doesn't make any sense to me. And it's just another case of the fundamentals of coming back to bite Clemson in the butt. In this case, it was base running. Um, yeah, Clemson came close to winning this game. Davis Sharp hit a ball to the wall and left to end the game. That would have been, a, a, I believe, a two-run home run to win it. But, uh, you know, this is another one that Matt Clark started. Um, he left with a short, uh, sore shoulder which may still be bothering him, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. But, uh, yeah, just a tough series loss there. That rolls over into the midweek games. You have a loss versus Winthrop. Askew struggles again, followed up with a uh, win against Tennessee Tech. That was rescheduled from early in the year. And finally, that brings us to this Georgia Tech series, which Clemson got lucky to win the last game. Uh, They did lose the first 8-7. to Davis Sharp struggled again, lost 13-8 the next game. Matt Clark couldn't get out of the fifth inning. And th- that's a game where Lee chose to bring in Spires with two outs in the fifth inning, which seemed like a really desperate move. I mentioned the mm-hmm. new coach. I think he waited later, like the seventh or something like that, to extend the guy. But bringing Spires with two outs in the fifth, it's just a, not a natural place for him to be pitching. Um, he gave up the lead twice in that outing, allowing seven runs, six of them coming in the seventh inning. And just what a disaster. Yep. Um, you know, another series loss in the ACC. Uh, granted, Georgia Tech is a really strong team. They're 30 and 14 overall, second in the coastal, or tied tied for first in the coastal with North Carolina. Um, they're a good team, but we we had the opportunities there again to to try and steal a series against a good ACC opponent and just failed to do so. Uh, you know, at this point, it's it's a combination of a lot of different factors. It's part coaching decision, part players getting a little tired uh, in their freshman seasons, part Older players not stepping up when they need to. Um, I think this team's probably lost a bit of confidence in their ability to finish games and and win close ones, which if they make it, uh, like you said, if they continue on this trajectory, they're not going to make the playoffs uh, the postseason. But if they do end up in the postseason, they're going to need that confidence to be able to pull out a win or two in, in tight games, extra innings, stuff like that. So it's... It'll be interesting to see how the team goes going forward. Yeah, and so we'll talk a little bit later about our expectations for this team moving forward. But perhaps the last game of the Georgia Tech series helps them turn it around. 
Um, again, we mentioned they finally broke their ACC losing streak, uh, losing streak in that game by scoring eight unanswered runs after going down 7-3 heading into the fourth. Uh, Crawford got the start in that one, didn't make it out of the first inning, giving up five runs, four of them earned. Tennessee then come in, came in, got yanked after giving up two runs and two and a third innings pitched. Uh, but Travis Moore came in and stopped the bleeding, pitched really well, holding Georgia Tech scoreless through four and a third innings. So the Tigers pick up a win there. And, you know, exam week this week and then a two-game series against Gardner-Webb this weekend, that comes at a really opportune time for these Tigers to get some rest, get their head straight, and get back out there. Yep. Uh, they're going to need it. They They need to finish the season strong, and they've got – you know, there's not really any easy games left um, on the schedule. The Gardner-Webb ones are probably some of the easier ones left, but we've got series against Wake and NC State. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Wake is tied with us in the Atlantic and the ACC standings, and NC State is a really strong team. Yeah, they're second um, in the Atlantic. They're second in the Atlantic and 34-12 and 12 overall. Really, really good team. So... The ACC series that remain are, are going to be difficult. And if we get, can get a couple series wins out of it, that would be huge. Uh, that would probably be enough as long as we don't drop the rest of them to get us into a comfortable comfortable position going into postseason play, into ACC playoffs, et cetera. Yeah, um, it's just it's baffling to me. When you look at our wins, you got the series win against Louisville, who is the best team in the ACC right now. Um, you got the series sweep against North Carolina, who's leading the Coastal Division. But then you go and get swept by the likes of, uh, you know, Notre Dame mm-hmm. and Duke. Yeah, and I think they're not great teams. I think that's, you know, that's a sign of a young team. They, uh, they're inconsistent. They're not going to show up every single game 100% ready to go. Um, it's a little bit of coaching, but with such a young squad, it's going to be hard to get that consistency every, every day from from these young guys yeah so let's turn our focus here to the pitching I, I think we can kind of point that out as being the achilles heel of this baseball team right now the hitting did struggle in the fsu series but they picked it up since then but uh the team era now is up to 4.2 uh 4.20 on the year the starters era in the last 14 games uh during that 3 and 11 streak is 659 mm. um which i can't remember the last time a clemson Clemson's starting pitching staff had an ERA that high. The pitching staff as a whole has walked just over five guys per game in that stretch. Um, They gave up 79 runs in the last three ACC series. That's 8.8 runs a game. It's really hard to win that way. Um, Davis Sharp still uh, leads the starters right now with a 2.90 ERA, but he struggled a little bit in his past three starts. He has a 6.89 ERA over that span. He had a 3.8 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio prior to that three-game stretch. He's 1.1 to 1 during it, so he's striking out and walking guys at about the same rate. Yeah, he, he's given up four earned in each of his last three starts. Um, that strikeout to, to walk ratio is down to about two and a half, uh, just under three. Um, it's It's been a struggle for him the last few outings, so he's going to be kind of the bellwether, I think, for the success of the team going forward. If he can get it together and Clark continues to be solid and we get a couple of solid starts from Crawford and Hennessy here and there, uh, the team's going to be all right. But in the postseason, who knows what will happen with that. Um, like you mentioned, the the pitching really has taken a turn. Um, 
it's been disappointing to see teams put up eight, 10 runs consistently against us after we were holding them to much better totals earlier in the year. Um, but three and a half ERA heading into the stretch, you know, something like that. Yeah. I mean, even the, the Notre Dame series, for example, that we lost earlier in the year, they had one game where they scored nine runs, uh, but the other two, they scored nine total. So even a series that we lost, we only gave up six a game. And as you just mentioned, we've been given up uh, way more than that as of late. So uh, we, we just, the, the pitching is going to have to pull it together if this team's going to do anything. Yeah, I mean, you look at the last two ACC series, you know, against Duke, we put up eight, three, and eight. And then against Georgia Tech, we put up seven, eight, and seven. So normally, a Clemson team, that is plenty of runs. That's all you need to win, right? The batters in those series are doing their part. But, uh, yeah, pitching has just really been a struggle. Even Matt Clark has struggled in his last two games. He dealt with a, a sore shoulder, and I'm I'm hoping that is not something that sticks around the rest of this season. Um in his last two starts, he's gone. He's gone a combined eight innings pitch total in those two starts with a 10-1-3 ERA, and he's walking more guys than usual. So that's a similarity between uh, Sharp and Clark. And then after a hot start, Keyshawn Askew has really struggled and been demoted as a Sunday starter. He's averaging one walking in, in over his last four games. So the guys aren't throwing strikes, and, and that seems to be a big problem. And you know, Andrew C's philosophy, Andrew and Monty's philosophy is is uh, you know, uh, throw strikes, let them hit yep. the ball, uh, pitch throw the contact. contact, pitch mm-hmm. the contact. And it's just not happening right now. Um, and I think, you know, I understand with a guy like Askew, again, a freshman, even Davis Sharp, as good as he looked, remember, he's still a true freshman. Matt Clark, um, first year starting, getting a start the, the season as, as a starter. But I think the most baffling thing to me is the regression of Brooks Crawford, Brooks Crawford and Jacob Hennessy. Uh, that is just really shocking. Those guys started all last year, so you expect them um, to do at least as good as they were last year. Uh, I wonder if Crawford's injury from early in the season is still an issue. Again, I mentioned earlier, Hennessy strung together a couple of uh, starts two to three weeks ago, but not much uh, before since. So, you know, I don't know if, if Andrew C. is the problem. In his defense, this is a pretty young staff, and we predicted that they might again, hit that wall at some point, but I point to Crawford and Hennessy as kind of the head scratchers. Yeah, totally agreed. Um, you know, they've been following the philosophy. The problem is that, that other teams have been, uh, while we pitched to contact, they've been hitting for power um, and hitting effectively. So with these younger guys and, and with the inexperienced starters like Clark that you mentioned, uh, it's, it's tough to get consistency and we'll see if they can pull it together at the end of the year. I mean, so out of the bullpen, the bullpen is pitched decently uh, this year. Uh, Spires has pitched well all year long, yep. except for that He's one time great. Monty decided to bring him in the fifth. Weatherly and Jones have pitched well. Lindley and Griffith have pitched well at times. I've been, you know, Lindley just had a really solid midweek start last week. Luke Summerfield, uh, I mentioned him in that Georgia game. He looks the part at times, but not at others. But I can see something in him. In him so I'm hoping that's a guy that eventually comes around. Uh, but it, it really comes down to the starters at this point. You just got to hope Sharp and Clark bounce back. And between Hennessy and Crawford, somebody can plug the hole there uh, in that third weekend starter role. Yep. Uh, there's been a lot of guys that have shown flashes throughout the year. Uh, some earlier in the year, some like, um, 
like Lindley a little bit more recently, but we need somebody to step up. We need the starters to be consistent. We need that third and fourth starter to have a few nice outings. Yeah, I think this is where you're really seeing the injury to Spencer Strider um, really make a difference on this team. We haven't talked a lot about him since the beginning of the season, but you know, having a guy like that who got a lot of good experience starting games last year, he's a flamethrower. He would have been a big part of this Clemson starting rotation. He would have been a weekend starter for sure. So that hurts. You know, you don't want to blame injuries or anything like that, but he would have been a huge uh, piece of this puzzle. Um, so let's turn our attention to the hitting here. Um, Overall, 261 as a team, which is not a good average. They strike out 9.3 times a game. Um, over the last 14 games, again, during that 3-11 and stretch, they're batting 244, over 10 strikeouts a game. They struck out nine or more times in, four, in nine of the 14 games. It's really hard to win if you don't hit the ball. That said, while they're still striking out a lot, they're batting 306 as a team the last seven games. So that's a positive sign. Yeah, uh, we're hitting 261, like you said, which is actually identical to last year's team uh, for the full season. But we have some power this year. Absolutely. So we are hitting about a quarter of a home run fewer per game than we were last year. Uh, we were hitting almost a little over one and a half per game last year, and we're at like one and a quarter this year. Um, and so the team just doesn't have the same power as last year. And given the fact that we don't have that power, we need to be hitting for average better. And at the beginning of the year, we talked about it. There were a bunch of guys hitting over 300. Davis Sharp was crushing the ball. He's all the way down to 268 on the year uh, from the plate. Yeah, he's hitting a buck 56 over his last 11 games. So he's really hit a wall on both sides of, of the, of the plate, both pitching and hitting. Um, Guys like Grayson Bird and Logan Davidson still doing what they do. Uh, Davidson has, is hitting 303. He's got uh, 12 homers, 12 doubles, and uh, 35 walks in the year. So he's still having a really strong year. There are still some players who are crushing it uh, at the plate. But guys like Teodosio, Sharp, Wilkie, Hall, uh, they're all hitting well below 300 now. And there's just not a lot on the bench either to, to plug in that guys that can come in and be spark plugs at the, at the plate off the bench, guys like Justin Hawkins, Bo Majkowski, uh, Jordan green, nobody's really hitting well. So uh, without that, without that middle of the lineup power that we had last year in Davidson and Seth beer and others, it's, it's been a struggle to, to put up as many runs as we did last year. Yeah. And even Davidson slumped there uh, uh, for a bit. He had his average down below. Uh, 300, but finally yep. got it back over 300 over the weekend. Grayson Bird's actually leading the team in average at 306. Funny how everybody gave up on him uh, after three games to start the season. Lo and behold, here he is leading the team in average. Uh, Briar Hawkins is a guy who ha has hit uh, very well as a freshman. He's hitting 290 and has been fairly consistent at the plate all year long. Mm -hmm. um, he recently uh, strung together an 11-game hit streak. But you look at, on the flip side of that, guys like Bo Michkowski, he's been pulled out of the lineup because he's been struggling. Um, that opened the door for veteran guys like Jordan Green and Justin Hawkins. Jordan Green has actually had a really good series against Georgia Tech. He started all three games and batted 500 with three runs scored and three RBIs. Hawkins, who is said to be the strongest guy on the team, and I was hoping he'd make more of an impact this year. He's a guy that strikes out a lot, but has tremendous power. He's batting 348 over his last 23 at bats. So we'll see how sustainable that is. You know, Jordan Green is a guy last year that 
really came on at the end of the season. I think he's one, you know, he's going to be about a 250 hitter, but he walks a lot. He has a good on base percentage. He can steal bases, throw on the base path. And he's just a guy that, from what I've seen during his Clemson career, he, he needs at bats to kind of get in a groove. Um, I'd like to see him there in the, in the probably the nine hole uh, for the remainder of the year, just to help turn that lineup over. But, um, you know, a guy like Sam Hall, slumping heading into the Duke series. He was solid for most of the year, but um, he turned it around since batting 324 over his last game. So there are some bright spots here and there, but I really think the lineup just hasn't gelled and, and come together. Teodosio found some success early on in the year, but he's regressed to the mean, strikes out about once every two and a half at bats. Uh, he is, I believe, second on the team with home runs with eight. Um, yep, tied with he's three. Battled some, he's, he's, he's battled some injuries lately. Um, and speaking of those injuries, something that I really think would be a shot in the arm of this lineup, Keir Meredith hasn't played much since, or hasn't played at all since mid-March since he hurt his quad. The same for Michael Green. Those are two guys that could really plug some holes in this lineup. I know Michael Green's only hitting about 200, but he was starting to hit before he got injured, and he doesn't, he's a guy that makes contact. He doesn't strike out a lot, so I think it was only going to be a matter of time before he started hitting. Yeah, his last five or six games before he got hurt were, uh, he was starting to hit really well. Uh, one guy that we haven't mentioned who hasn't seen a lot of playing time lately uh, that we brought up a couple times before is Chad Ferry. Uh, the hit watch is still open, unbelievably. He's had 24 at-bats and I think 35 plate appearances. Uh, he's hit. He's had nine walks and a hit by pitch, but he's 0 for 24 from the plate. Do you think he gets a hit the, the rest of the season? Well, I'm going to make a bold prediction. If he gets a hit, we're going to the College World Series. <laughs> Do you think those two things are, are tied together? He gets the game-winning I think they hit? are. I think that's a big reason why we're going through this stretch. It's all about the, the juju, right? We need Chad Ferry to get out there and get a hit. I like yeah. that Monty Lee keeps running him out there. I mean, he does look good when he's at the plate, and I swear to God, every time I watch him hit, there are some really crappy calls by the umpire. Yeah, I mean, he... He's had nine walks and and a hit by pitch in thirty five plate appearances. Yeah, uh, he's and two ninety four on base percentage, and he doesn't even have a hit this year. And it's not that he just doesn't have a hit; he's zero for twenty four. That's a lot of O's, uh, and he's still got a two ninety one on base, which is pretty 294. incredible. Two ninety four, um, which is higher than Bryce Teodosio. Yeah, so you know, I'd love to see him get his first hit. Um, He's a solid fielder, not a lot of um, chances, but if we can slip into the, him into the lineup for a couple of pinch hits here and there, see if he can get one, uh, get a single somewhere, that would be great. Um, but for now, that, that watch continues. Yeah, and so we, we talk about the fundamentals of this team. And it's really on both sides. It's throwing strikes uh, when you're out there pitching. The fielding has not been good this year. Um, fielding percentage down to 970 on the year. Um, so that's been a struggle. And then the base running on the base pass. I know we're an active team on the base pass. I know we're going to steal a lot of bases. We've got 80 stolen bases on the year to our opponent's 34. But, again, you know, sending guys at the wrong time, all of that's on coaching. Um, and combine that with some questionable coaching moves, and it's just really, I, I don't think you can point the finger at any one aspect of this team. I think it's a collective effort. Given the the 
makeup of the lineup and the fact that we have a bunch of speedsters who we have way more steals than we did last year. Um, what's your take on, on the, the batting approach of no bunts and, and not really nobody really being able to lay down bunts if the situation calls for it. It's sort of a philosophy thing um, with the coaching staff, but we, uh, we can't seem to bunt anyone around the bases or, or get them home to save our lives. Yeah, you know how uh, Bryce Teodosio injured himself? Yeah. Bunted a ball into his eye in practice. Yeah. That's, that, that's it in a nutshell. But, I mean, given the makeup of the team, shouldn't we be bunting a good bit more? Like, this is a small ball lineup. We don't have a ton of power hitters, and we have a bunch of guys who can run the base pass. They, they make mistakes, but they are very fast and capable of stealing bases and moving around. Uh, getting two on singles and stuff like that. Well, that's, shouldn't, that's, shouldn't we be leaning towards playing into that small ball approach? You'd think so. I mean, because we're not hitting bombs, but, you know, that's the philosophy of modern baseball. It's all about launch angle and taking big hacks and strikeouts don't really, you know, aren't that frowned, frowned upon as mm-hmm. much anymore. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think I don't – it's hard to say. Again, this team is so young. I don't know if it's a philosophical change that needs to happen or these guys just need a chance to grow up. Um, but listen, time is running out for this team. And, again, it's not really the hitting that concerns me. I think that's going to come back around. It's the pitching. Um, so we need Davis Sharp and Matt Clark to be rock solid over these last few weeks of the regular season, and somebody needs to step up and be consistent in that third week and start a roll. Um, just right now it seems to be pitching by committee, throw a starter in there. He gets one inning and let's see what happens. Um, so we mentioned the upcoming schedule. We got a two game home and home series this weekend against Gardner Webb, followed by midweek games against PC and the Citadel. I would love to see us win those four games, get back on track. That would give us a five game winning streak, uh, heading into, uh, the NC state gear, uh, series in Raleigh, um, which is our second to last series, uh, ACC series for the end of the season. Um, after that, we've got a midweek against a very good Coastal Carolina team that is in uh, Myrtle Beach um, or Conway, wherever they are. Um, and then finally, uh, wrap it up with a home series against Wake Forest, with whom we're tied with right now. I'm thinking the Tigers probably need to win seven of their remaining 11 regular season games. That will get us to 34 wins. Um, I'm hoping that's enough to secure a bid to the tournament. Maybe less. Uh, they made it with 32 wins in Leggett's last year. Um, but you know, win less than that, and they'll need to make a deep run in the ACC tournament. Um, but again, it's very much a possibility the Tigers will miss the postseason for the first time since 2008. Yeah, I think I think that seven is. We probably only need six, maybe, but we need good showings in the ACC games, and uh, we need to not drop any cheap ones. Um, but this team could really still go either way. We could go. Th- into those last few games and win nine or 10. And we could also win four or five. Um, the last, you know, 10, 15 games that we played have been a really rough patch. Um, we talked all about the, the tough series against Florida state and Duke uh, and the Georgia losses. And, you know, it's been rough. So this team still has a lot of potential. If we can find a little bit of power at the plate, um, string a few hits together and the pitching staff comes around and we get some good starts from, from Clark and, and sharp and others. We could see a good run into the postseason, which is really what we'd hope for, you know, come in strong, come in on a hot streak. Uh, I'd rather not see them limp in to the postseason. Um, 
because it's just not going to end well. Yeah, I, I think my concern and the reason why I'm not very optimistic right now is because this is not a veteran-laden team. You know, back in Miley's first year, I think, when like the second – we were coming back all the time, second half of the season, we, we turned it around and then won the ACC tournament. Uh, a lot of veteran guys on that team. It's just not the same. So I, I kind of th- almost think we are who we are right now. We'll see. Uh, the last three weeks here of the season um, – if, if they prove me wrong, but my concern is it's just too young at this point to happen. And that wall is just too high, um, to get over, but, uh, we'll see, you know, we'll be watching, we'll be pulling for them and we'll just have to rather take a step back and really assess this program. If they fail to make the, the postseason this year. Yep. I think that's, uh, I think that's where we stand. All right, so that wraps it up for baseball. Uh, let's, before we wrap up this show, let's talk a little Clemson basketball. Okay, big news coming out of Clemson basketball right now. We usually don't talk about it this late in the year, but uh, you've got this, the Steve Smith, Steve Smith scandal uh, scenario, whatever's going on there. That, I kind of didn't pay a lot of attention to it at first until it seemed he threw the football team under the bus. Yeah. Sort of. It's not really clear. Uh, he's got a relationship with Merle Code uh, and Christian Dawkins, who were involved in the whole Adidas thing. Um, and there was a quote that came out uh, while they were, you know, going through that whole trial that Smith had a conversation uh, with Christian Dawkins and an undercover FBI agent that they recorded. And Smith said, here's the direct quote in the entirety that I saw, the only thing that they released. That's why football is so successful, is if you do it and use resources at Clemson, like you can rely, uh, you can really keep everything tight. So there's a lot of ways you can interpret that statement. Uh, People have taken it to mean that potentially Clemson is paying players in some capacity. How that's being done is not clear. I think it could also just mean, you know, the facilities and stuff, uh, football program facilities are great and using those resources uh, is effective. It's, it's not clear what he meant. They didn't really provide any more context that I saw around that quote. Um, and it's just, it's not a good look because it, it can be interpreted so many different ways, but well, it's bad uh, enough for the basketball team, but then you're pulling the football team into it. Yep. Uh, and so people are obviously not happy about that. Um, at least keep it within your own channel, right? Within the programs. But um, I don't think anyone's really pleased with Steve Smith at the moment. Yeah. So all of this is still unfolding and, you know, the reason, well, one of the reasons he wasn't put on administrative leave or fire or anything right away was that his contract was up at the end of April. So he's not currently in contract. I know him and his lawyers are meeting with, uh, with DRAD and other Clemson officials to uh, hopefully shed some more light on this situation. And he just needs to come clean. Um, hopefully Brad Brownell is not implicated in any of this. I mean, for everything we know and have been told he runs a clean program, that's one of the reasons why he's still here. Steve Smith did go so uh, far to mention that he had to pretend to not know the way to Zion Williamson's house when he went with Brownell because mm-hmm. he had been before um, doing whatever nefarious things that he was doing. I mean, if you're hiding it from the coach, then obviously you've done something wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you can't tell your, your boss that 
what you've been working on with a recruit it's not a good sign. Uh, there were other things within this whole process where it sounds like Duke definitely paid Zion Williamson something. Um, and part of that comes from us having offered him things supposedly. Right. And the fact that he went to Duke, uh, besides the fact that their basketball program is far, far more prestigious than ours and more successful and better recruiting classes. But if he's getting paid way more at Duke, then it's a better situation. Uh, the fact that we're offering him things is obviously disappointing for us as, as fans. And, you know, depending on how you look at it, maybe it's a le- even a little bit more disappointing that if we're going to do that, we can't be successful at it. Um, if you're going to cheat, cheat well, uh, yeah. but ideally don't cheat. So it's, yeah. uh, it's kind of just a big old mess at the moment. Yeah, well, the, the, the Clemson administration needs to get out ahead of this thing, get to the bottom of it, and they need to uh, dole out punishment punishment as is deemed fit. Um, you know, we talk all the time, especially in regards to the football program, about how proud we are about doing things the right way. When you do things the wrong way, you need to own up to it, and, you know, heads need to roll. So we'll see what happens out of that. Um, some other basketball news, you know, we got the transfer market, obviously, right now. Uh, Clemson has been very active in that in recent years. Uh, just got a Fordham transfer guard, Nick Honor. Um, as of right now, he will not, we don't anticipate him being eligible to play right away, but he has three years of eligibility remaining. He averaged over 15 points a game as a freshman. Um, it would be great if he could come in next year because he looks like a point guard. We could really use a point guard. Yeah, he's apparently moving to to be closer to home. Uh, his mom's been sick, I think. Uh, so there's a chance that he could file for a a waiver to play right away. Hey, Josh um, Belk did it. Yeah, uh, Belk was moving a little bit closer to home than than Honor is. Honor's family's down in Orlando area, I think. Um, so it's closer than Fordham by a good bit, but it's not really all that close. Um, but that. It's exciting that we could get a potential actual real point guard on the roster. If we get him get him in for next season, that would be incredible. If not, um, getting him in, in the following year with three years of eligibility remaining would be great. It gives him a chance to, to become another one of Brad Brownell, or at least Clemson's, depending on how things go with Brownell. Um, one of Clemson's transfers that turn into big-time contributors and, and are a big part of this program. Um, you look at guys like Marquise Reed and, and Shelton Mitchell and others, Eli Thomas, that are all leaving now. Um, you know, we we need some leadership to come into this team, and and uh, point guard's an incredibly important position in college basketball. It it can determine how seasons go. Um, so I think it was a good get, and hopefully we get something great out of Nick Honor when he can can get on the court. Yeah, so we mentioned 15.3 points a game, uh, close to an 82% free throw shooter. So that's encouraging. And the kid's only 5'10". So, you know, about half the, half the girls on the women's basketball team are taller than him. But he's a point guard. And, uh, you know, short guys flourish, can flourish in that role. Absolutely. Um, think Andre Young when he was at yeah. Clemson. Um, you know, we need a guy that can go out and hit a couple of shots get other guys open looks, most importantly, not turn the ball over. Um, 
and help us stay in control and finish down the stretch. Um, we've talked about it a lot with Brownell, but it's something that his team struggle with is winning close games. And I think, you know, a strong point guard performance, a steadying hand is really important in those types of situations. So hopefully he can provide that going forward. What league does Fordham play in? Atlantic 10, it looks like. Yep. Okay. Well, yeah, it looks like so, they, they lost in the Atlantic 10 championship game. Uh, they were, yeah, they were a good team this year uh, within their conference. Or um, no, they didn't. I think they lost in the first round. Take a look. Uh, so Fordham is in the A10, and they were 12 and 20 on the season this year. Uh, they lost, yeah, in the first round to Richmond, who went on to uh, to lose in the next round to St. Louis, um, who ended up winning it. So it's not uh, they're not the top of the the conference. They were tied for or they were actually last in the conference at three and 15. So Nick may be running away from a crappy program in Fordham, a team that's not going to have a good, <laughs> good outing the next couple of years. Um, but we're happy to have him, and, and hopefully he can come in and contribute and be a, a big time Clemson player for us. Yeah. He actually led Fordham in scoring. So we got the best player on a really bad team. Yeah. Uh, and he's a freshman, so he's got lots of years left. Yeah, that seemed like a good pickup. We'll uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, and uh, again, the jury's out on the eligibility right now. Maybe he can get a waiver um, because of his mom's sickness. But uh, it's glad I'm glad to have him on board. Uh, welcome to uh, uh, the new Tiger there. Um, who else? Anybody else out there on the transfer market that we've got our eye on? So there are a few that we did have our eye on, uh, and it seems like North Carolina is just taking all of the top transfers. Um, Christian Keeling is one that we talked about um, as a potential coming in for us, um, and he is going to North Carolina as well as two or three other major transfers. Um, I still, I mean, we've got Jonathan Bear coming in uh, after his year off, after his transfer coming in this season. So we're still going to need a couple of big guys uh, and we need that point guard role. So if Nick honor doesn't get um, his eligibility waiver, then we might need to pull in a grad transfer to be able to fill that, that point guard role because Clyde trap and the freshmen coming in are not going to be a strong, a strong trio uh, to lead us at point guard next year. Um, no, I mean, Clyde Trapp's a two-guard at heart. Um, you know, yes, freshman point guards can make impacts in the NCAA, just not freshman point guards at Clemson. Yeah, and I think even if we got a good, real, true point guard um, freshman coming in, that I would be optimistic about it. But the guys we've got are more scoring two guards who can handle um, and not guys that, are going to be likely to really lead the team as point guards. Uh, there's a bunch of other guys out there that would be great to get um, who are immediate, immediately eligible. Um, some guys within the ACC, for example, Kerry Blackshear Jr. is a, a redshirt junior who has graduated from Virginia Tech and had an incredible year last year. If he stays uh, in college basketball, he may transfer. We Christian Keeling 
is headed to North Carolina. Uh, like I mentioned, that would have been a really nice pickup. Other point guards out there uh, that are available. Um, Luan Pipkins is a, is a smaller redshirt junior from UMass who's graduated. He's actually headed to Providence. Uh, there are a ton of guys out there, but we'll see if anyone else shows an interest. Um, I mean, I know that Brownell and team are, are always actively looking, so we'll see. We'll see what happens, but They'll, they'll need to pick up at least one or two others to, to give this team some good depth for next season. Well, and hopefully the uh, Steve Smith thing works itself out. It doesn't have an effect on any of these transfers making decisions on it. Obviously with Nick honor did not, um, but said, see what happens. Um, okay. So I think that wraps it up for today. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening uh, to kind of give you a sense of our schedule moving forward. We'll check in on the baseball team probably right around before the ACC tournament starts, maybe. Um, And we'll continue to follow them until the season is over. And then after that, we generally will end up taking the month of June off, uh, being back early in July to get back on the the football train. And, of course, if anything happens, anything worth talking about between now and then, we'll be back with you. Um, Yeah, once again, appreciate you guys for listening and sticking with us throughout the entire year, not just the football season. You can reach out to us, clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. We're at Clemson Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Please give us an iTunes review if you have time, and just make sure to, to subscribe to us on whichever podcasting app you prefer so you can get notifications of our shows being pushed as soon as they come out. So once again, thanks to everyone, and as always, go Tigers. Go Tigers.